Okay, so we are con- continuing along this theme of the chronological life of Jesus. And now on the chronological life of Jesus, we are in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus was speaking on the issue of divorce. So, I will summarize for you the things that, that we already covered in the last couple of weeks on this passage. We talked about the only two scriptural reasons where divorce is permitted. Now, you can do whatever you want. You, you, you can choose to do whatever you want. But the scriptural reasons, there's only two. One was because of marital infidelity, sexual infidelity in one of the parties. The better thing is to not divorce, but to always have forgiveness and, and, and to be able to rebuild that marriage. But it is permitted in that case, it is permitted to divorce a spouse if they've had marital infidelity in the, sexual, in, in, in the sexual realm. But it is not required. The only second example is where you have two people who are non-Christians, they get married. After they are married, one party becomes a Christian, the other party does not, and the one that does not become a Christian does not want to live anymore with this Christian spouse and they leave. And they say, in that case, it's alright, you can let them leave. Those are the only two instances. But it says the better way would be if they could still be together. If the party wants to stay, let them stay because they're sanctified. Sanctified means set apart because of the believing spouse. Those are the only two New Testament reasons. Now you, you might say, and rightly so, what happens if there's an abusive marriage? If the husband is coming down, coming in and abusing the wife. I have two daughters. I wouldn't want my daughters to be living in an abusive marriage. But it's not a grounds for divorce. It might be grounds for separation. It might be grounds that I can't live with this person because I'm not going to get beat up every day. But it is not grounds for scriptural <coughs> divorce. And all I'm telling you is what is there in the scriptures. And that's what I will always go by. And if I don't go by it, that's the day that you should worry. Worry the day that I don't go by this. And so we're going to pick this up in Matthew chapter 19, reading from verse 3, reiterating some of the things we covered before. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and he said to them, Have you not read what that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason the man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. And, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. <clears throat> so this is where Jesus spelled that out. And in, in, in Mark chapter 10, which we had seen before, Jesus said it works both ways. That it works a man do, uh, uh, committing adultery... Uh, um, in a marriage or a woman committing adultery in a marriage. Those are grounds for divorce. It actually works both ways. The reason in Matthew it's only written the one way on the man's side because this is the gospel to the Jews and in in Israel even until recent times a woman did not have the the right to, uh, to, to the religious right to divorce her husband. And 
so this, Matthew is writing to the Jew. When you look at Mark where he's writing to the Gentile, it goes both ways. You could see that. Now his disciples say in verse 10, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. This is such a depressed view. So Jesus said, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Remember the question was, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Remember that 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 was the view of the Hillel rabbis, for any reason at all. And when Jesus said, no, you can't divorce for any reason at all, his disciples go, go, well, if that's the case, why even marry? If I can't divorce my wife for any reason? So you see what a warped view that they had. And so that our culture has a warped view of marriage, it's no surprise. Even Jesus' disciples had an improper view of marriage. And I'm not judging anybody. And what I love is that I can teach in a college class where most of you are not married. And for the few of you who are married, you haven't gotten divorced yet. And so you don't have to feel this, this, heap of, of, of this, this heaping on of conviction. I'm not trying to convict anybody. I'm just speaking what the Scriptures say. Isn't it good to know what the Scriptures say? It's a good thing to do, right? And, and, uh, and so his disciples say this, and then Jesus goes on and he starts speaking about eunuchs. He says, there are some people that are called to the kingdom of heaven. Some people, there is actually a gift of, of singleness that is spoken of in the Scriptures. There's the gift of singleness that is spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul said, I wish you were all like me, that I'm not married, it's better because you have more time to serve the Lord. And you will see, for example, with campus ministers, if a campus minister is married and they have little kids, I mean, they're just diverted in, in, in the time they can put into the ministry. But you get a campus minister who's not married, they put in all sorts of time into the ministry. It is a good thing. But there are people who have been called to that. I, I had many discussions with a young man who wanted to, to join the Catholic priesthood. And he says, I think I've been called to, to, to the priesthood. I said, you haven't. You haven't. He said, how do you know? I said, because all you ever do is you wrestle with this, this reality that you're unmarried and you want to be married. He says, well, then I should go in the priesthood and then it will be defined. I said, no. The, that is for people who have a particular gifting. If all you do is think about marriage and women all the time, that's not for you. You're not called to that. You wouldn't have that struggle. Now, there are other people that can't marry for certain reasons, and we'll deal with that later. But last time, what I did is I spoke about, I spoke about what it means to be a man. What does it really mean to be a man? Because we have all of these, these wrong views in our society, and we spoke a little bit about that. And, and uh, let, let, me, let me just summarize that a little bit. Um, Summarize a little bit of what I, I had covered. So, in, in the, the summary from, from the manhood part that I had covered, remember there is a prayer. There is a prayer that we need to pray as men that teaches us a proper order. And that prayer is this, I thank you Lord for the beauty of this woman that she's been made in the image of God by the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ may I never use her as an object of my own lustful gain. And by that power please untwist in me that which sin has twisted. Because we have no understanding in our culture of what God has set apart the beauty in marriage the innocence in marriage as we talked about last time. So, for the man, 
it's, it, what I shared is, is that Jesus Christ demonstrates to us what it is to be a man. A total self-donation for the other. If this word, if this thought, if this action is not in the other's best interest, it is not the love of God. It must be in the other's best interest. My desire, my desire, our desire for the one that we love should be that I would rather be crucified than to violate your dignity. And that is what brings great strength in a marriage. And, and uh, outside of marriage, there can be no functioning in a proper sexual context. We cannot find sexual innocence outside of marriage. It says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. You will never find that outside the bonds of marriage. Never. Uh, um, you, men, it is you, not your wife, not your pastor, not your girlfriend. You must make a decision to want to be a real man. You've got to want to make this decision to be a real man. You must give everything to Christ so that your lust can be slain. And it is not something that comes overnight. You don't take a lifetime or a decade of training and just throw it away. It is a process of, of, of working through this. So let, let, me, give, let me back up and, and give, give a, a little bit more of an overview even in this. So what God has for us is something that is much greater, something that's much greater than what the world has to offer. It's as if we eat out of a dumpster and we think that that's all there really is. And we look at, at, at we have lust, we have pornography, and we say this is what there really must be. And what I am saying, and what the Scriptures teach, is there's something much greater. There's something much greater that turns this whole thing around. Let me define lust for you. Lust is the disordered desire to take that which is not mine for my own pleasure. It's to take that which is not mine for my own pleasure. And Jesus Christ gives victory over lust. This is what He gives us. When we permit our lust to be slain, we don't lose our sexual desire. It's redeemed. And this is the message of the Gospel. To love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. This is the deepest meaning of sexuality. We have been so messed up in our culture. And he, he gives us this path. Now let me tell you, there are three ways to deal with our lust. There are three ways. One is we can indulge, and I don't recommend that. It leads to a constant discontentment and disillusionment. Disillusionment, disillusionment and it will ultimately destroy your life. It will destroy your marriage. And if you think that you're going to get into marriage and now your lust is all gone, you are wrong. That is a lie from the enemy. You are wrong. People go into marriage. If they had lust, the lust remains. You can try to suppress your lust. And this is where most Christian education will take you. This is where most evangelical education will take you. It will take you in this suppression. And it ends up turning the turning of, of, of like a rocket engine on oneself. The fantasy life goes crazy and it leads to disordered thoughts of all types fantasizing about another all the time. Even within marriage, fantasizing about another. We're like whitewashed tombs looking good on the outside but bursting within. And this is where most evangelical thought takes us. It's this suppression and where the mind absolutely goes crazy. 
And it also, it also condemns us. It makes us most judgmental and indulgent because we long to be able to do what the world does, but we can't do it. And this is where most Christian education will take you. The better way is redemption. You learn how to have this redeemed. Where the man is saying, Lord, I thank you for this beauty of this woman, but she's made in the image of God. By the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, may I never use her as an object of my own lustful gain. And remember, lust is taking something that is not ours for our own pleasure. May I never use her for that. And women, it's the same sort of prayer. He's made me in the image of God by the power and death of resurrection in Jesus Christ. May I never use him or seduce him for an object of my own physical or emotional gain. Take that which is twisted in me and untwist it. So these are the types of things that he has for us. Let me, let me go into now and speak more about the giftedness of women. Last week we spoke about men. Now I'm going to speak about women and I'm going to entitle this Women God's Masterpiece. God's Masterpiece. About uh, 10 years ago, it was right about 10 years ago that I put together this teaching on scriptural sexual ethics which is up on my website and, and you can listen to the six-part teachings. And what I'm going over to you, with you today is just a little snapshot from that three-and-a-half-hour teaching. It's a it's six-part series. But there were two Christian radio programs that I heard ten years ago. And the radio programs could be summed up some, something like this. And they f- were for young married couples. It it was something like this. Woman, it's your husband's physical need that's overcoming him, so you should be sensitive to meet his need. That was the typical evangelical response. Woman, your, your husband has a physical need. It's up to you to meet his need. And I remember when I played that for the class, that there were some women in that class that were like, if that's the way marriage is, I don't want to be married. And it's like, just like what the disciples said. When Jesus had, had tried to restrict them. If, if that's the way marriage is, I don't want to be married. But that was never the way it was meant to be. So let me start out with women with an apology. In the midst of the war between the sexes, I come in peace. And I hold out my hands to you, proclaiming your preciousness and your dignity in God's eyes. I want to start by apologizing to women for the way that I have treated you and the way that all men have treated you. I'm deeply sorry for the way that my lust and the lust of other men have wounded you. Please forgive us because we don't know what we're doing. We know not what we do. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, you can read about a man named Amnon. Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar. He thought she was so beautiful and just before, he, as he was trying to rape her, she tried to talk him out of it. Then she tried to physically resist him. And she was unable, and he rapes her. It says that he was so overcome with love for this girl that he raped her. And right after he raped her, it says that the hatred with which he hated her was more than the love with which he had loved her. I mean, you talk about disorder in men. <clears throat> This guy was so heartsick for this woman, then he raped her, and right after he raped her, he hated her. And he threw her out. 
Her whole brother, not her half-brother, but her whole brother, Absalom, hears about this. And you know what he says to her? He says, don't take it to heart and don't tell anyone. This is the common thing that is put upon women. Oh, a guy did that to you? Oh, don't take it to heart. Guys are like that. This is the common thing that is put upon women. And even her father, David, never, never in it, any reference in the Scripture that he went to comfort her. He heard about it, and he was grieved by it, but he never went to comfort her. Nor did he confront his son Amnon for what he did. That was 2,500 years ago. I am sorry for the things that men have done to you. For the last 6,000 years of human history, women have been treated shoddily at the hands of men. This has happened. Forgive me for my role in that abuse and forgive men just as Christ has forgiven you. I understand that it's not always all the man's fault and a woman can apologize for, for women. That's not my intent here today. And I understand this this could be hard to receive from a man. But because since Genesis, man has not succeeded in upholding a woman's dignity. And I, I have a limited perspective because I'm a man and not a woman. And women have made great strides in demanding dignity for themselves in the last 60 years. And I join you in that fight. I join you in that fight. Male domination is the result of sin. And the cry of women's hearts has been that they don't want men to dominate them. For the past 60 years they've been saying this, and I stand with you in this resistance. I disagree with the women's liberation movement to the extent that women need not be like men to be equal. Equality does not equal sameness. Women are equal in their difference, and they need not act like men in order to be equal. There's a genius and giftedness in women without which the world would be entirely and utterly impoverished. If human beings are the crown of God's creation, because human beings were created last, on the sixth day, God created one thing after another, and it got more and more sophisticated, and then the, the penultimate of His creation was man. The ultimate was woman. She is then the crown jewel. After he created woman, he said, it is good. It is good. She is the ultimate in God's creation. In Genesis chapter 3.16, here's where the problem comes in. Genesis chapter 3.16 is where the problem comes in. The curse came. The curse came upon man and a curse came upon woman. Here is the curse that came upon women in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. All the same sentence. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. You can be a Christian... And our first two children out of four, Shireen did not have an epidural just to see what it was like to just... And after those first two, I'm having this epidural. 
even though she's a believer, the pain doesn't go away. The pain in childbirth is still there. You will bring forth children with great pain. And then he said, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That is very much a part of the curse. The same reason, the same statement in the part of the curse is you're going to bear children with a lot of pain and your husband will rule over you and in the midst of his ruling over you, your desire will be for him. As a result of the fall, he, your husband, will rule over you. That is clearly a part of the curse. That was never intended as God's ultimate way. From the beginning, it was not that way. The show of domination is foreign to the gospel. The show of domination is absolutely foreign to the gospel. Moses said, as we read in in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said, Moses allowed you to divorce because of the hardness of your heart, but from the beginning it has not been this way. It's not been this way from the beginning. From the beginning, it was never made to have this domination. It is part of the curse. And often in their desire, per the curse of Genesis, often in their desire for their husband or their man or their boyfriend, a woman will compromise her own dignity in that desire to be loved and thereby feed a man's lustful grabbing. Unfortunately, this is often taught in evangelical circles as the proper and desirable way. That distorted desire can lead to a life of pornography and prostitution to feed men's lusts. And it was never meant to be this way from the beginning. It is a result of the curse. Are you with me? This is a result of the curse. The domination of women is a result of the curse. And you go throughout cultures, throughout the world, and you will see domination of women by men. And not just that, it is always domination of the strong over the weak. Wherever you go, domination of the strong over the weak, and it was never meant to be this way, and it was not meant to be this way in marriage. In your desire for your husband, you'll often allow yourself to be dominated, but that will never satisfy your desire because it was never intended to be this way. It only wounds And from this, women can even grow to dislike sexual relationships in marriage. There needs to be a mutual submission, as it speaks of in in Ephesians. There is a mutual submission, one to the other. The the commandment to be fruitful and multiply was in Genesis 1.28. That predates the fall. They are to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was given prior to the fall. Therefore, sexual relations in marriage are not a part of the curse. And I understand that men are not the only ones who abuse sex. A woman can abuse sex and manipulate men to seek emotional attachment or physical fulfillment or monetary gain. But that's not my role here. It says... Clearly, that, that uh, uh, there would be no pornography if women didn't allow themselves to be dominated by men and to be abused by men. But all of this has come. The source is Genesis. It is part of the curse. And a woman should refuse to let herself be dominated by a man, and particularly in the realm of lust. 
she should refuse that. Don't compromise on that. Don't go out. Don't date these sort of people. Don't even do it. Don't compromise, even if there's not too many guys out there that are available. Do not allow yourself to be the object of another's lustful gain. That was never made to be that way. And you will see enormous disorder within men, even in the church, because the evangelical process has this so backward in so many ways. A woman should desire a man who would rather be crucified rather than to treat her as an object of his own lust. And if he's not of this character, don't even go out with him. It's a man's problem. But he's given in redemption the way to overcome his lust. Let him walk in it. There is an overcoming of lust. There is a possibility to do this. And a man has to want to do this in order to succeed in it. If the wife wants a man to be freed from lust, it never works. Unless the man wants to be freed from this, it will not work. It can't be your wife. It can't be your pastor. You've got to want to do it. Scripturally, what does it mean to be created in the image of God as a woman? The denial from the Garden of Eden, the, the, the lie was this, that God is a tyrant and He does not love you and He's therefore withholding something from you. And Eve wanted more. Jesus' response, remember His response in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well. We've gone through this. He said to this woman, I don't condemn you. This woman said, he pointed out, you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. He said, I don't condemn you. He wasn't there to condemn her. He even said, you ask of me and I'll give you living water. You ask of me, I'll give you living water. That's what Jesus said. I'll give it to you. You know, his plan, Jesus' plan, is to marry the church. That is the image. That's not my image. That's the image that the Bible uses. He wants such intimate fellowship. He wants to marry the church. There is nothing, absolutely nothing sexual in that. But he is using the relationship of a man and his wife to image the oneness that he wants to ultimately have with the body of Christ, with each of us. Your desire for true union with a man is a foreshadow of the union with God. But some of you have been so wounded that that concept is hard to receive. And I ask you now to join with me in seeking to have God open your heart to this revelation of the relationship which only He can open. You are an image that points to a Creator. Woman is an image that points to a Creator. Woman's womb became the dwelling place of the Most High. Jesus dwelt in a woman's womb. Every man spends the first nine months of his life under the beating heart of a woman. To every man, you are the sign of the dwelling place. Satan approached the woman because she represents the archetype of the entire human race. Before she ever sinned, Adam let the sin come into the garden. He should have taken that bullet himself. In Genesis, it speaks of the enmity that would come between your seed and the serpent. And in Revelation chapter 12, it says the enemy seeks to devour the child and tries to kill the child. In Revelation chapter 12, Satan approached the woman in the garden in part because the woman is the one who receives the gift of life, conceives of the gift of life within her, nurtures the gift of life, 
bears the gift of life and presents that life to the world. That's what woman does. And the enemy hates new life. Hates new life. Thereby feeding our culture of death and abortion. Where the solution to our problems is presented as the death of life. Whether that be many or few or even our own life. Women often reject motherhood so to, to get dignity in the world by becoming more man-like. But rejecting femininity and fertility is not God's way. And as Mary, who's considered in the New Testament as the new Eve, said in Luke 1.38, Behold the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. From the new Adam, namely Jesus, Mary exemplified her faith, her holiness, and her suffering. It's woman's way of saying yes to God in faith, holiness, and suffering by bearing a child. It's truly redemptive suffering. Give your will to God and He could change the world forever. The call to motherhood has been knit in your very body. Every month that you have menstrual pains, you can say, thank you, Lord, for the gift of my body and for making me woman. Offer the suffering as an expression of a gift to God. And if you're unable to bear children or never call to marry, you offer that to the Lord as well. In letting it be done to you as, the, as He would have it, you show forth holiness as did Mary. You bring your special gifts into the home, in the workplace, in the corporate offices, into society as women. You do that. Bring it in, in there as women and let your gifts be a blessing to the world. The reason why women don't want to work often for other women is because women in the workplace often take on man-like qualities. And it's repulsive. Just like a man acting like a woman is hard to bear, so a woman acting like a man is hard to bear. There's a giftedness in women that need not be sameness. Equality is not sameness. You pray for your husband or your husband-to-be that he would see the light and desire to give himself as he's called. But the reason that men don't do this generally is because they've never been taught. You cannot be a concert violinist without having violin lessons. You can't expect a child to pick up a violin and start playing it and be a concert violinist. What's wrong with you? Why don't you do it? Well, never had a lesson. How's that? For a reason. Most men don't know anything about this. And this is why they need to be taught. And many men, when taught, will respond. They'll respond positively because the vast majority of men who hear me well understand the struggles that a man has in his mind. And how we want those struggles to come under the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is like a rocket engine about to burst. And if we just suppress this by turning it back on ourselves, we will burst. And that is what the evangelical church teaches. And we burst. And our minds go crazy with a fantasy life. And we become judgmental at those who indulge because we wish we could do what they do. But it was never meant to be that way. And there is redemption in the Lord. So there's a new order for women. 
Now, I will tell you that in the last in the, in the last 30 years or so, 25 years, there are women that act very much like men, that abuse men, that, that uh, uh, they are often the initiators of a sexual relationship and often will push things upon men. And women, you need to pray this prayer. I thank you, Lord, for this man. He's made in the image of God. By the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, may I never use him or seduce him for an object of my own physical or emotional gain. And by the power, by that power, please untwist in me that which sin is twisted. God has a new order for women and a new order for marriage. And it is much better, much better order in marriage. And I'll tell you, when Jesus said, what God has put together, let no man separate. In, John chapter, in, in Matthew chapter 19, when he said, and a man and a woman, the two shall become one flesh. That oneness, that union is extraordinary. I love marriage. I love marriage. And I have seen young marriages so turn around for good by men learning how to take their lust and or properly take this and have it dealt with in redemption and then treat their wife as an equal party and that she actually holds the key in the sexual relationship and understand that. So I urge you to, to get on the website and listen to this because I have a section on, on turning the Christian bedroom from hell on earth to heaven on earth. Now, when I speak to young couples who have been married, say, say, in the first five or seven years of marriage, if I can get them alone and get them talking, they'll tell you that their bedroom is just hell on earth. And it's hell on earth because the man feels that he never gets enough and the woman feels that this guy is all over me and she's got to feign headaches just to be able to survive. And if you think that that won't happen in your marriage... He who thinks he stands, fear, because he's going to fall. When you learn to order this properly, nobody feels without. Nobody feels slighted. Nobody feels objectified. The woman no longer feels an object for this man's pleasure. When you get this right, it says the two become one flesh. Marriage is a terrific thing. I love being married. I love being with my wife. And, you know, we've had our problem times, but for me, divorce was never an option. I remember once we even went to one counselor and the counselor started talking about, you know, the, the divorce. And I, just, I said, just stop there. That's not even in our vocabulary here. We are just here for a tune-up. I mean, divorce is not what we're, we're about. That's not us. It is a beautiful thing. Marriage is a beautiful thing. And when you get this ordered right, it is so great. The man doesn't feel without. The woman doesn't feel objectified. And the two flow together. And what the man will often feel is, I can't keep up. When you get the woman's attitude right. Because of your treatment of her. Because of your treatment of her. 
It is a beautiful thing. And that sounds so different than what the evangelical church has to teach, which is merely, woman, submit to your man's needs. And that was foreign. It was never made to be that way. So I urge you to pick this up and to understand this, or else you'll feel just like the disciples. It's so messed up. Why even marry? And that's what the world does. It is so messed up. They say, why even marry? We just live together and then when it doesn't work out, we just go live with somebody else. And that is a life of real pain as well. That doesn't solve the problem. The solution is with God. He's worked it all out. There's an order. There's a way. And it really works. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. I thank you so much for the order in marriage. Lord, I pray for these young women here. If they have been abused and hurt at the hands of men, Father, I pray that you would grant them to forgive as Christ has forgiven them. And Father, I pray for these young women that you would grant them men who would want to give themselves for them to be crucified if need be rather than to destroy their dignity. Father, I pray that these women would demand that in their lives, that they would not allow themselves to be abused at the hands of men or to be the objects of lust for a man. And Father, I pray for men that they would learn to walk in redemption, to be redeemed, so they don't have to fight this all the time, but it would have proper order. Father, I pray for these young people for the grace of God to come upon them. And Lord, I thank you because you have oneness in marriage for these young people. Oneness in marriage. The two becoming one flesh. Father, I pray for them that they would know the joys in marriage that I have known. Father, I pray your blessing to be upon them. The blessings of God richly to fill their lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen.